Welcome to Automotive's FP Wellman. As every week unfolds, I am FP Wellman, Fred Wellman, your host at our palatial, our palatial penthouse studio in Creevecourt, Missouri. Uh, Matt's back there laughing because we're actually in the basement. We have got ourselves a new house speaker this week. I was in D.C. for that cluster. Finally, well, at least for the moment, he can get voted out by like one person having a bad day, apparently. Uh, either busily passing important but utterly stupid and useless bills. Uh, so I'm glad we have a guest who can help us put it all in perspective this week. As always, we get the best guest in this show, and this week does not disappoint. So I'm not going to waste any time. As always, we get right to the show, and let's go. Welcome, welcome, welcome. As I mentioned previously, I am Fred Wellman, your host of On Democracy with Fred Wellman. I talk fast, get used to it. Uh, I, uh, I'm glad to have you here on the show. As I mentioned, this is the right place. Hopefully you're going to join us like, often. Thank you for being here. I hope you uh, liked it, subscribed, smashed that button, shared, reviewed. I don't know, all the things Matt wants me to tell you to do early. We're doing it early. Matt, the producer, is back there nodding. He's happy. <laughs> so I hope you're doing that up front. I'm back in St. Louis after a busy week in Washington, D.C., including seeing fellow veterans who stand in front of the Capitol and demand an end to political violence. Our friends at Common Defense, if you remember my friend Avid Shah, who was on the show about a month ago talking about Courage for America, and uh, Mike Fanone has joined them now and, and is, is calling for an end to political violence, which I just love. Uh, it was great to see them stand there in front of the, the, the our dramatic and beautiful Capitol. I was also there as the drama of the speaker's votes unfolded. If you saw last week's solo show from a hotel, I think I, I think I shot that one during vote number nine, right, Matt? I, <laughs> you know, it's a, I'm not going to lie. I went to sleep, you know, <laughs> seemed kind of ridiculous at some point. I had to get some sleep. But Kevin finally got the prize he's been selling his soul for. I'm worried that he also sold the nation's soul to gain that gavel. But uh, my streak of getting amazing guests to join the show continues to help us figure this out so we can push back against uh, – Extreme that's occurring in our country. So without further ado, uh, my guest, of course, this week is Jennifer Rubin. Now, uh, she's an opinion columnist at the Washington Post. She covers politics, policy, foreign and domestic. Joined the Post in 2010 with much fanfare as the conservative voice and insight in the conservative movement, parties and threats to Western democracies. Rubin is also an MSNBC contributor, author of the book Resistance, How Women Saved Democracy from Donald Trump, which I love. Prior to her career in journalism... Regret to say she was once a labor law attorney <laughs> for two decades. I know you've described yourself as a recovering attorney. I have a lot of recovering attorneys in my life. Jennifer Mann, thank you so much for joining the show. Glad to have you here with us today. My pleasure, Fred. It's nice that we finally meet in almost um, person, I guess, visually meet. Right. It's ridiculous. We've been harassing each other on Twitter for yeah. ages. So I, I love it. I love, you know, look, I had the podcast for only one reason to talk to people like you. I admit it freely. <laughs> I know. So it's uh, it's great to be able to pull it off. I, I just really Really appreciate you. Now, I know you've had a journey, you know, away from the modern GOP as well as I have. And so many of my guests are well known from their writing and their TV appearances, but you never get the inside take of how you guys ended up here. And they just throw you on TV and read your, read your latest job. So I always start to show off with the simple question, my guess, since this is a podcast about our democracy and the threats to it, you know, how'd you get here to this moment, Jen? I mean, you've been, you've been, you've been a, a voice for the conservative movement for a long time, but here we are today where we are both us uh, sort of kindred spirits. Well, I have always believed in things like the rule of law, objective reality, <laughs> limited government, free trade, robust legal immigration, 
humane capitalism, not cronyism, U.S. leadership in the world. And I still believe in all those things. Unfortunately, today's Republican Party does not. Um, And what's more, they've gone insane and have become authoritarian, abjectly racist. Um, And really, I think are following in the horrible footsteps of some of the right-wing nationalist movements in Europe. And uh, I couldn't be a part of any kind of party like that. So I left the party in uh, 2016, I guess it was, spring of 2016. I have never looked back. And um, I think um, we've all come to prioritize different things in this era. And um, I might have quibbles with many Democrats on uh, how high the marginal tax rate should be, what's a appropriate minimum wage. Those are minor details at this point. I will join arms, link arms with anyone who is defending democracy and the rule of law. And right now there's only one party that's doing that, and that's the Democratic Party. Um, so, uh, until the Republican party comes to its senses, which I do not expect in my lifetime, um, I think I will continue to be comfortable where I am and, uh, tell it like it is. And right now, um, unfortunately the Republican party is as bad as it has ever been, including during the Trump years. Right. Right. And it was funny. Don't you remember waking up after the election, all of us, I, all the idealists, I wasn't one of them, but all the idealists in the world saying, well, this is great. We can get back to normal and, uh, you know, things are going to you know, you know, be back to normal again. And, you know, now that he's been defeated, he'll be on his way. And of course, January 6th. And yeah, none of that happened. I mean, it's 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 it seems like in many ways we slipped deeper into the hole. Uh, I, I think I did a whole bit last week on the show about how, you know, the, a lot of these, quote, moderates, which we can talk about, you know, it have been riding this tiger and you know when a tiger tigers get hungry eventually and they're going to eat the guys who are on their back first and i think a lot of them are getting eaten by it now um and the whole thing is going to get eaten together so it, yeah it, it's such a similar conversation that i've had you know it, it it is um how you get to that place you know it, it is a journey right and and i know i my journey was like that too i, I talk a lot of if you if, if people have watched the show before know you know for me the the final straw was um it really knew i knew we were in trouble as a party Jen, when I saw, when, when Trump did the whole thing about the P, John McCain being a POW, and he said, you know, I, I like men that weren't, I like people that weren't captured. And I was sure that was it. I was furious. You know, I've been a veterans advocate for over 10, a professional veterans advocate for about, you know, six years at that point, a, a veteran, 20 years in the army, four combat tours. I did all those things. I mean, I, I, the idea of a politician saying that people who are captured are not heroes or anything negative about them, that was it. They were done. And, and, and instead, other than his con- competitors in the race, it was very, and the exact opposite happened. Many people defended it. Many people attacked John McCain further. And that was the moment I woke up. I was like, well, I don't have a place in this party anymore. Um, and then just months later, the the folks who run, who used to run, they don't anymore. And I think this is part of it, the Rolling Thunder, which honors Theo Davis and MIS, had him as a speaker, right? Exactly. And I think what we've seen in the last couple of years and most very clearly since uh, the House uh, went to the Republicans is that the MAGA movement doesn't even need Trump anymore. It's a self-perpetuating, you know, quagmire of crazy. Right. And um, he's almost irrelevant to them now. And um, they can easily shed him um, if he becomes uh, too much of a burden, which I think he probably is. But that doesn't mean that they've reformed. In fact, they're getting worse. Um, And we saw this complete chaotic mess um, in 
trying to form their leadership. Yep. And then exactly as we expected, they're going down all these rabbit holes, forming a subcommittee to obstruct justice, passing a bill to allow tax cheats to cheat the government and cheat other taxpayers, widening the de- deficit, having not learned a thing about their extremism on abortion, the voted on two anti-abortion measures, and it goes on and on and on. And uh, whether it's coddling George Santos or coddling the rest of the crazies in that party, I don't see any recognition from any of them that there's anything wrong with this, that there's anything wrong with lying continually to the American people, attacking democracy, and really simply treating politics and governance as performance art. Right. There is no seriousness. I heard today, we're talking on uh, Thursday, that Kevin McCarthy was chiding the Senate for not getting anything done yet. (laughs) As if the House has done anything. Does he consider what he's been doing, getting anything done? Nothing productive is coming out of that. None of those bills are going to make it anywhere in the Senate. All of this coursing around has just been the equivalent of making one hit on Fox News after another. So the fact that he thinks he's doing something, I think kind of says it all. It's performative bullshit, right? <laughs> that's, yeah. that's all it is. And, it really and, is. and, and it, 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 the whole thing is one long performative bullshit act. And you mentioned George Santos is a perfect example. He's a he's a he's a member in good standing, just according to, to McCarthy just today. He said, "Now oh, look, he was duly elected, you know, and because McCarthy is such a slim margin, he's going to keep every nut job he can. I mean, the idea that a man who's lied about everything and every moment as we, as driving in yet another a New York Times you know post comes out a, a alert that he there's a dark money group that raised money for him we find out that he, he was impersonating Kevin McCarthy I mean my god how much of his a coward is Kevin McCarthy that we find out that this son of a bitch had somebody a staffer pretend to be one of Kevin McCarthy's chief of staff to get money and he just goes, okay. I mean, it's just how weak and spineless. And it, it goes that, right? It's like there's nothing left the part that you and I are a part of. The, and what does the situation say to you, right? That, that it's just there's nothing left of it, right? There's no moral compass left. Kevin McCarthy believes in nothing, thinks about nothing. He only wants to be speaker. And goodness knows, I guess he wants to have everyone know that he was speaker once for however many nanoseconds they give him. Right. But he has been stripped of his power. And basically, he's just there to make excuses for the rest of them. Right. One of the things I took a look at today as I was writing a piece actually for Sunday on uh, Santos and the whole phenomenon was how serious these campaign violations are right not filing reports filing false reports most likely lying about the origin of the money that he received um these are serious campaign violations which can have civil if not criminal penalties right um there is as we speak an fec complaint that's been filed by one of the good government groups the county da in new york is investigating him the federal U.S. attorney in New York is investigating him. This guy has as many investigations as Trump does. Um, and the the Republicans don't seem to care. No. Now, I am kind of keeping a small count, however. <laughs> there are five now New York congressmen who actually have said he should quit. Yeah. And there's another congresswoman, Nancy Mace from South Carolina, who says he should quit. 
And oh, by the way, the Republican party head in Nassau County wants him to quit. And a bunch of mayors in his district want him to quit. So apparently it's only New Yorkers, with the exception of Nancy Mace, who think that this is a problem. Right. And really what we know is going on is it's a little too comfort, close for comfort, that they're afraid the stench of Santos is going to waft their way on and that this is going to be a problem for them. In fact, it's he's going to be the poster boy for the entire party. Yeah. And if Kevin McCarthy had a brain, he would think to himself, I'm speaker now. I still got a few people um, who keep me in the majority. We should cut this guy loose, use up that seat. Um, If we win it, we win it. If we lose it, we lose it. I'm still speaker and move on. And instead, he's going to just be hanging around like a dark cloud. Yeah. Strangely enough, Kevin McCarthy says, I'm not putting him on any important committees. (laughs) So. Any committee that he goes on to, we know Kevin McCarthy thinks is an unimportant committee. Too bad for the people who are on that committee. And secondly, what is the standard? He can vote on things that come out of the Judiciary Committee, the Foreign Affairs Committee. He just can't be on those committees. It's ridiculous. This is the kind of mental gymnastics these people carry on with in order to prevent themselves from doing anything that's remarkably honest or forthright. Yeah. So... I think he's going to be around for a while. I don't expect him to quit. He may get indicted for something or other. Um, I still don't expect him to quit. Uh, there are many uh, there are many office holders who, until they're convicted, don't quit. Duncan they Hunter want Jr. To get that right? very Remember, last paycheck. Yeah. Duncan Hunter Jr. Yeah. is a perfect example. Exactly. Yeah. They stick in there to the very, very end. Yeah. Um, so which, which by the way, I mean, remember Duncan Hunter Jr. is like they he, he spent money on dinners. Oh, so <laughs> I mean, it's almost cute now. And it was so this guy, his entire life is a fraud. I mean, and you know, but you're right. He hung on to the very, very bitter end, didn't he? And, and that's that is the standard now until this guy actually gets marched to jail. Uh, for an actual, you know, for the, going for his term, they'll, they'll let him stay and vote and be a member of the party. I mean, it's good to see him getting harassed, but you're right. And I tell you, go back to the New York State. Imagine what New York State Republicans are thinking right now. They just had a win. I mean, of the, of the only the only good news in the entire party in a lot of ways was what happened in New York State. They actually did well in New York. The, the, the crime message resonated, you know. Adams, the mayor who says he's dead, but who knows, <laughs> you know, they really, they did well. And, and after out of that triumphant cause of New York Republicans, this is all t- people are talking about. And, and, and so McCarthy is screwing the country, but man, is he screwing New York Republicans? And exactly. Uh, and bad. that's why they're all objecting or right. many of them are objecting because they know that they now have less than two years left in office. If right. he remains because their voters will have come to their senses by then realize, Oh heck, these people are nuts. Yeah. Um, they said they were some kind of moderates, but they're really not. They're crackers. And by the way, we got George Santos as the poster boy for New York Republicans. So their time I think is, um, clicking away. And I think Kevin McCarthy has such a short-term itis, not unlike Trump. He just needs to get through this conversation, this interview, this day, this week, tomorrow, like Scarlett O'Hara is always another day and he'll deal with that down the road. (laughs) Do you think it's because he's dumb? (laughs) I mean, I mean, everybody says that, right? He's a monumentally not intelligent person. He is monumentally dumb and he has monumental 
foot and mouth disease. Right. If you remember, he didn't get to be speaker the last time Paul Ryan did because he whoops, let out of the bag that the Benghazi hearings was only a stunt to right. make Carolyn Clinton look bad. And right. whoops, you're not supposed to say that kind of thing. So he will do that again and again. He has not an idea in his head and he seems to have simultaneously given away the store to the very, very far right yeah. and be so nervous about it that he won't tell the slightly less far right what he gave away. Right. So there are people in his caucus who don't know what the deal was. Certainly the American people don't know what the deal was. Um, and as you point out, a single person can say, I would like somebody else, please vacate the chair. And yeah. then the whole thing is thrown into turmoil and not. Yeah. So and it'll be one scandal, right? I mean, it just, you just need a few more people to join on and they can throw those out, but it won't take much exactly. to, to tip the scale. So maybe it's right? a race between <laughs> Santos and Kevin McCarthy. Who will be there longer? I'm betting on George Santos actually. because He won't too. get out until they convict him of something. And that's going to take a while. I am too. I mean, really, I mean, how long can the guy last? And, 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 and getting to indictments, we have to talk about it before you know, uh, you did a great piece here today on the on the, the, the Fulton County Grand Jury completing its work. Um, it feels like they've got the lead in the indictment horse race, right? <laughs> I mean, uh, it's hard to say. I, I was offline a little bit. I do think there's news coming out of Atlanta uh, or Fulton County about that. I mean, the, you know, the the New York. But again, he does seem to he does a great job of missing, right? He he's always seems to be dancing away. I mean, we all had such excitement about the New York case against the Trump organization and it being a, you know, <laughs> You know, um, so, I mean, what do you see coming in the search for justice? Who's going to win the indictment race? And, and is there any chance we might actually see justice for Donald Trump or is it just more of the swing and a miss? I find it impossible to believe that Fonnie Willis will have spent all of this time, yeah. all of this money, gone through a special grand jury process only to say, you know, nothing here. Never mind. Um, not going to indict Donald Trump. Yeah. Um, I think the only mysteries here. The only questions are when exactly it's going to happen. I would expect it's going to be within weeks, not months at this point. Second, who else is going to get indicted? Um, Will one of them, for example, Mark Meadows, um, turn to give state's evidence and not get indicted? Will he go after, will she go after rather uh, people like Rudy Giuliani or does she consider him to be, you know, non-compass mentis? And (laughs) will Oh, and what will the specific charges be? Will yeah. she throw the kitchen sink at him, including a state RICO charge? Or will she kind of stick to the bread and butter of fraud and interference with official duties and the rest? Um, so I think she's got to figure out exactly how she wants to line this up. And uh, I think she will be first. It's the case that has been, um, in some sense, the most focus going on the longest you can talk about Mar-a-Lago is another case of very discreet facts. But I think for her, it's, um, I don't want to say it's easy to make the decision, but I think she's got a powerful set of facts. I cannot imagine any prosecutor in America with that set of facts who would not go forward, quite frankly. So it's a matter of when Um, I most look forward to the extradition from Florida, um, from Uh, Governor DeSantis, who will know, doubt be throwing a ticker tape parade as he escorts Donald Trump state to troopers. an airplane. Yeah, he'll send him state troopers yes. to escort him. So I think he'll be very happy to extradite him. Um, and he is going to have to stand trial. Um, he's going to go through every legal machination you can think of, yeah. but eventually it's going to come to trial. Eventually a jury is going to assess his behavior. 
Um, there is the Mar-a-Lago document case. I do not fancy the opinion of uh, the collective wisdom that somehow the inadvertent um, retention of documents by the president makes it hard to convict or to uh, indict Donald Trump. To the contrary, this is how the rule of law works, that you look at all the facts when there's a suspicion of wrongdoing and you prosecute those who have done something wrong, not people who haven't. And um, unless it turns out that Joe Biden went personally through those documents, refused to respond to requests from the National Archives, refused to completely and honestly respond to a subpoena, had to undergo a search warrant after he had moved the boxes around, got his attorneys to falsify (laughs) a statement that they had all been turned over. Unless all of that is also true of Joe Biden. Joe Biden didn't do anything illegal. Do we have like an endemic sloppiness as people exit Ooh. office? Yes. And by the way, I think we should change the law. And when you leave office, you don't leave with a single piece of paper. You give it all to the National Archives. They take back what is government uh, yeah. paper and give you the rest. Yeah. And that would, uh, I think, solve some of this. But the problem is not that Trump was inadvertently sloppy. It's that he never got over the fact that he lost and he's not president. And so he willfully retained this stuff and then set out to obstruct the investigation. And that's the difference. And of course, the Republicans are kind of going nuts over it. But I think in some ways it makes it a little bit easier for the special counsel to indict him on uh, the Uh, Donald Trump on these because he can say, listen, we investigate everyone equally. And it's when the facts are this that we then go ahead and prosecute. So that will come, whether that's weeks from now, months from near, I'm not certain. I do think that the January 6th investigation will eventually result in charges um, against Donald Trump again, whether he goes very broad and um, lines up, um, charges of seditious conspiracy, uh, aiding and abetting an insurrection, or whether he goes more narrowly, I think is um, a factual matter that he's going to have to wade through. But yes, I think um, the walls are closing in. And I don't see, quite frankly, the Republicans being all that upset about it. If you'll notice, the Republicans in the House are much more interested in trying to make Joe Biden seem like Donald Trump than saying, oh, this is a nothing burger crime. Donald Trump should never have been arrested. In other words, they would much rather say, oh, yeah, Trump's guilty, too, but so is Biden, than to say Trump got a raw deal. They're not making that argument right now. And I think they would much rather roll the dice, try to smear the president and come up with someone who's minimally more electable than to sit there defending Donald Trump, particularly with all of these other cases that are going to roll out over the next year or so. So um, they are as bad as we expected. I think um, it's going to be a very slow legislative year to be um, really uh, to understate the the obvious. And I think um, we're going to have to rely on some of those self-described moderate Republicans um, to um, extract from the Rules Committee or the Appropriations Committee a debt uh, ceiling increase, or the president is going to have to do it by executive order 
to prevent a complete meltdown of our economic system. And once they do that, I'm not sure anything else is going to happen the rest of the year yeah, or mean, next year for that matter. It feels like they're going to burn through these symbolic votes fast, right? I mean, they're, they're, they're having a ton of lies passing stupid shit like the, you know, anti-abortion and all that. But there's only so many of those symbolic, stupid things they can do. They, they said they're going to defund the IRS. Yeah, that's not. None of this is happening. I mean, the funny thing with the whole story is I do think the media is feeling us that not making it clear that all this is symbolic. None of it's going to happen, right? It's just there's a, now, the, now the real issue, of course, is these committees. And you, and you did write a piece, to, I think, yet today's piece about the China committee, for example, with with uh, I think Mike Gallagher is running it. You, you talked a great length about, you know, they could really show they're, you know, against China, but they're really not. It's just a right wing fever dream kind of thing they're doing out right They're They're not really pushing back against China at all. And and so these committees, the, the weaponization of the government committee, I mean, they can't muck things up a bit, but I think you're right. They're going to burn through symbolic votes. It won't pass in any laws. And after that, I mean, it, you, you've talked a little bit of, I think, sitting on your college, talk about how the Democrats can fight back. I mean, do you see, I mean, I did, I saw, I saw a great piece actually in Politico. I just, I can't I said that out loud, a great piece in Politico, but <laughs> you know, but there was a great little analysis in Politico today about how it, Biden is being more aggressive in their messaging. They are pushing back. They're not, they're not trying to appeal to their left and we're saying, no, these guys are full of crap. You know, that inflation, inflation is down again today. I mean, so do you see a, a path the Democrats to actually get stuff done still? Um, I mean, I, I, I give an example mm-hmm. a lot, Jen, I know you're not from Missouri. We're, we're here in Missouri and there's a, a young woman who I, if people, long-time listeners of the show probably hear tired of me, like touting how much I love Crystal Quaid, but Crystal Quaid's our minority leader here in Missouri. She was on the show last season um, and she's run a wonderful, you know, small operation with a, a, a super minority, right? But she gets bills passed, right? Because she, she's very good at leveraging that split, those moderate Republicans you talked about. At some point, they're going to get tired of passing these symbolic bills that aren't going anywhere and, and it will be the Dem. I think the, maybe you agree that the, will the Dem be able to play that split effectively and, and what's that look like in your opinion? I think we're getting a very good sign of it from the president. What's he been talking about? He's been talking about issues that Republicans say they care about. He just rolled out a new enforcement program for the border. He wrote an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal talking about taking on big tech, um, which is uh, selling our um, private information and being influenced by foreign powers. He is continuing to lead the nation and the Western world in supporting uh, Ukraine. Mm -hmm. So he is saying and doing things that Republicans find overwhelmingly popular outside of uh, the House. And, of course, he now has a never-ending string of bridge openings, road openings, harbor openings. Um, he can spend his entire, you know, two years doing that and bringing along people like Mitch McConnell to say, oh, what a great job you've done. So that's what he's doing. Yeah. Plus, he's going to get through every single judge he possibly can because right. the Senate is now in Democratic hands. Yeah. And I think that's what they're going to do. And in an odd way, I think that makes it easier for him to get reelected in 2024 if that, in fact, is what he's going to do. And I have every reason to suspect because if he can pull off the economic um, really threading of the needle um, that is bringing down inflation without throwing us into a recession and keep job progress, keep his um, reinvestment in American infrastructure and technology and science going. Um, If he can point to the Republicans and say, these people are nuts and 
it's pretty obvious that they are, then I think he's in a pretty good position in 2024. And the Republicans are going to figure out what do the Republican senators do? Do they run from the House? It sure seems like they're distancing themselves. Yep. Does the eventual nominee, if it's not Donald Trump, try to separate himself from the crazy pants in the House or does he join them? Um, so I tell you, um, for a party that lost the House, there's a, a real reason why Democrats are looking so happy these days. Right. Um, and it's because they think they've accomplished a lot already and that they're in a pretty good political position. Right. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, the big issue will still be the economy, of course. And we'll have to see whether um, we can, uh, as I said, um thread that needle, walk the line between recession and uh, solid recovery. But if he can pull that off, um, I think he's going to win re-election. And um, I would hope that at some point, some of those less crazy Republicans, there are not moderates, but there are less crazy um, Republicans in the House say, oh, gosh, I got to stand for re-election. I better try to help and get something done that I can point to on my uh, accomplishment yeah. list. Otherwise, I'm going to get killed in 2024. And people like me, operatives in the Democratic side, we're going to be pointing it all out. I mean, I, I'm, I'm more than happy to record all these ridiculous. I mean, wait till I get the hearings, right, Jan? I mean, imagine what a hearing with Marjorie Taylor Greene on the podium is going to look like. You know, it's she's no Katie Porter. And so it's going to be the insanity. I mean, I, I'm, I, I'm still trying to imagine a Jim Jordan Judiciary Committee and what a, a, an absolute circus that's going to be. I mean, and we, again, we get to tape all that and show it and show the stupidity of it and the inefficiency of it and all. And I think in many ways, the, the evil political operative part of me is like happy they took the House in a, with a slim majority because we've talked about how bad a Republican governing situation would be. Well, we, we gave them a tiny peat of it, you know, a tiny, yeah. a tiny bit of it, if you will. And, and we get to watch them do it. We can show the world like we've been warning you that the crazies are coming and here's the crazies doing their thing. It's the house GOP of all the crazy, the crazy. I mean, that's the funniest part, right? I'm not hearing shit from the Senate. I mean, are you, I mean, Mitch McConnell sure is quiet, <laughs> you know? And he, I mean, like you said, he went to the infrastructure thing in Kentucky with president Biden. I mean, it, the, the Senate Republicans are superstitiously, just superiorly quiet right now, yes. <laughs> you know, suspiciously yes. quiet. There's you know? a single thing coming out of the house Nothing. that they're going to look at. Um, the Republicans are going to pass um, some moderate looking um, popular legislation through right. the Senate by reconciliation, because that's the only way they're going to get right. through. Right. They'll send it over to the House. The House won't touch it because the crazies there won't let it. And, you know, Biden will say, listen, if you want to get stuff done like we did in the first two years, you're going to have to get rid of the crazies. Yeah. And that's going to be the pitch in 2024. Well, along that lines, I'm, I'm working on a new project, which I can't announce yet. I've been teasing it for weeks, but I will announce it soon, I swear. But you know, a new project I'm working on is is kind of look at these numbers of, of who ran unopposed, who ran underopposed, if you will. I mean, there's some pretty good data that shows uh, it takes about it's essentially if you don't if you don't raise two hundred thousand dollars in a campaign, a congressional campaign, House campaign. It's essentially a non, you know, you can't really compete against, especially against incumbent. And there's, there's these allies in, in Congress, like Paul Gosar. Paul Gosar ran unopposed, which is shocks people. I, I have met his opponent. Actually, his uh, opponent should have been his opponent. David Lucier is actually was in D.C. at this event I went to. And I guess he trusted the state party to count the number of names on his petition. And they counted it wrong, which is an amateur mistake, <laughs> you know, unfortunately. But but having said that, well, in our data, what we found out is that 75% of the members of the Freedom Caucus were essentially unopposed because their opponents raised less than $200,000. 
And of the 109 races that were under 200,000, the average money raised was 61,000 on the Democratic side. So we've got a system of politics that focuses on winning races and only flippable races. But like we just said, with the extremism we're going to see in the House GOP, I mean, it just feels like the entire system of electing people by not only focusing on those flippable, easy races is failing us. I mean, I mean, long term, what do you see? The, the, how do they take back the House and, and finally have a workable majority on either in either House if we don't change the system? There are some of these districts that are so badly gerrymandered that they certainly are going to be difficult. Yeah. On the other hand, someone like Lauren Boebert lost by a few hundred votes. So that's a perfect example of a case in which you had someone super, super right wingy and you thought, oh, she's must going to get a cakewalk this time. And she didn't. So that's a case in which you properly fund and you properly recruit someone. But there are 18 Republicans currently sitting in districts that went for Biden in 2020. And that's where you have to really fund those people, including um, you're going to have to also defend the seats that were close last time, but to really go on offense on those seats and to see what kind of retirements happened yeah. last time there were a lot of democrats who left because they kind of figured they were going to be in the minority um how many of those um you know not really moderate um republicans kind of throw up their hands and say i don't want to be around anymore and they leave and that creates opportunities for democrats yeah. now one issue i think democrats need to be aware of is that there are some senate seats opening up and some very good congressional incumbents who are in tough to win districts are showing interest in them. And I'm talking about Elisa Slotkin in Michigan. Always a tough race that she has had. Um, She's almost certainly going to announce um, for the seat that Debbie Stabenow is vacating. Katie Porter, also in a very tough district in California, has just announced she's going to run to um, replace Diane Feinstein. Um, so not all of these, um, seats that we've won even more than once are necessarily going to be safe. And there are going to be some opportunities for Republicans as well. Yeah. But I think the lesson from 2018, when both Slotkin and Porter came in was if you recruit well and you recruit smart, um, you can win these marginal districts because the Republicans have gone so far off the balance beam um, that um, I think the recruiting is going to be critical. And then, as you say, the funding is going to be critical. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, my big thing is we run everywhere, but we also have to support everywhere. And it's hard. Like I, I, I don't beat up the DCCC or the DNC. They have to make choices as parties. I do beat up a lot of the third parties. I mean, I, as you may know, I, I, you know, I, I was a senior advisor for Marcus Flowers in Georgia 14. Um, while he did well fundraising um, for a lot of good reasons, in the end, you know, not a single third party ran an ad against Marjorie Taylor Greene. Not, not one third party, not one super PAC, not one party agency ran an ad against Marjorie Taylor Greene, one of the worst of the worst. Same thing with Paul Gosar. So it does worry me that while we, we talk the entire system, it seems like, on both the official side, the party side, and the, the third party sides, these PACs are also kind of taught up. They're all caught up in the same movement towards winnable, flippable, and not everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. I mean, again, 23 Republicans ran unopposed, only six Democrats. 
right? And so right. that seems like our, our opponents have figured it out. And I, I, I'm going to wind up on this, this, this authoritarian movement in general, uh, this global, your foreign policy, actually, we talked a lot about domestic policies, but you also talk foreign policy. You know, the, the efforts by the GOP to rewrite history about January 6th, the, and for me, their impossibly silent reaction to the nonsense in Brazil last week, right? They, uh, we still, I don't know if you've heard anything from anyone on the Republican side condemning what happened in Brazil with Bolsonaro, you know, the, I think a lot of this, this, this movement extremist groups we're seeing is global authoritarian movement. You know, do you, do you see a global authoritarian movement? Do you see uh, it, it? Do, are we equipped for that fight? You think with the current administration and, and, and how do we as a nation fight back against the globe? I, I, I've been passionate about Ukraine, for example, like it is a global authoritarian movement, but uh, how do you see that coming in the next two years? And, and how do we push back against that and, and maintain the world order as it's the liberal world order, if you will? I think it is very true that there is a international movement in two senses. One sense that the very same people who are leading the crazies in our country are trying to lead crazies in other states, in other countries. Right. So you see Bannon popping up yep. all over. Yep. You saw the Russians playing in the Brexit fight yep. um, and in manipulating the far uh, right in France, for example. So it's not only philosophically that you have people who are aligned, but you have the actual people, um, the operatives and the money that is going um, to fuel these people. So I think you have to do um, what Biden did. Uh, He was mocked for it um, by the mainstream media, but you have to articulate the opponent. You have to say, this is what we're fighting against. This is who these people are. This is what they want. This is not a pro-American, this is not pro-democracy, this is not pro-rule of law, and the threat to our system is real. The good news is whether they said it was democracy or whether they just said it was craziness, I think the American people did pull back from the ledge in 2022, and they looked at these people, and they may not have articulated it as a threat to Western democracy, but they sure know a nut when they see one. And they saw a lot of nutty people and the nutty people are acting even more nutty. And I think the Democrats have to both point out the nuttiness, but then also strengthen and project um, that they are in in the business of solving people's problems, that they are doing things that are popular. Infrastructure was popular. Getting corporations to pay something in taxes was popular. Um, The CHIPS Act was popular. So I think it's a dual task for Democrats, both to show that democracy produces results and that democracy is a mainstream movement um, that is not like um, the right, which encompasses a never, never land off to one extreme. And they have to keep up uh, the focus on the antics on the right. So if I think they, I think that if they do those two things over the next couple of years, uh, 2024 will look pretty good. Yeah. and, And I think you're right. I think we do it effectively here. We can't show. I mean, one of the things, one of the most striking things I heard a lot of people say during the Brazil thing is that America is now in the business of exporting extremism. Unfortunately, we're you know we we're actually teaching the world how to have coups and or mini coups. And I guess it's good news we're teaching them how to have failed coups. <laughs> you know, and I mean, we can look at it that way because both of them failed pretty miserably. Thank God. But uh, but you're right. I think you, I think we do have to demonstrate the effectiveness of democracy we, of, the, of the liberal world order uh, in ways we can, and it'll be challenging. Again, the, the pushback from the Republican House on their Ukraine support will be interesting to see, but you're right. I mean, we just have to down, continue what we do, but be that, God, I say it, the shining city on the hill, right? That's what, 
a lot of us believed in. I, I joined the army in yes. 1980. I joined the army in 1983. I was, I was a Reagan Republican. I, you know, Ron Reagan said service. So I went to West Point, you know, and, and, and he was there at my graduation and, and I, that was what I was raised in. And that early, it was really that idealistic kid uh, who blew those things we thought were conservative or it turns out they're just American as it turns out. Well, here we are. Well, Jan, I can't thank you enough for this conversation. I don't want to take a lot of your time. Um, you know, well, it's been a great chat. How can we, I know we can always find you in the Washington Post daily. Where else can we find you online? What else you got cooking? I know you got a, you had a book out recently. Uh, you got more books cooking. What's cooking? Uh, I don't have a book cooking, but uh, I do appear on MSNBC. I do a weekly chat on Fridays with readers at the Washington Post, Great. so you can find it there. I am active on Twitter, and I've now set up shop as well at Post News, yep. not to be confused with the Washington Post. <laughs> so you can read my uh, serpent comments and um, complaints uh, in social media. And uh, I try to do uh, as many podcasts as I can. Uh, I'm also becoming a regular with Mary Trump on her fabulous I Tuesday heard that. podcast. I'm jealous. I'm not And uh, so, uh, yeah, you can't get rid of me. I'm like a, you know, <laughs> a cold that keeps hanging around. Um, so uh, I, I enjoy getting to talk to readers and listeners and uh there's lots of places to pick up my work well we really appreciate it thanks for joining us so much today i, I mean uh, honestly it's been a great conversation and, and the work you do is fantastic and I, I look forward i read your stuff every day so keep up the fight that's all we can do right Exactly. Great. Nice Thank to you. be here. Thanks Likewise. so much. Thank you. Man, thanks to Jen Rubin for joining us. That was a great conversation. I could have gone all day talking to her. As you know, you can always find me at uh, on Twitter. I'm still there hanging in there. Actually, starting to kind of grow some new followers again. So maybe there's some light at the end of the tunnel for our friends at Twitter. Uh, I'm at FP Wellman there. I've got an official Instagram. I'd love you to follow. I uh, see me hiking a lot on there. FP Wellman official. I am on post news as well as FP Wellman. Pretty much everywhere you look, you'll find me there. Uh, you can find our show feeds, the Under Moxie, P, uh, Under Moxie pod on Twitter. Uh, and of course, you know, all your favorite sources for podcasts. Again, I did say it at the top and I really do sincere. We'd love you to subscribe here on YouTube. Love you to subscribe on your favorite podcast platforms, Apple and everything else. We're, we're doing great. I just got noticed. I think we're in the top 25% on Buzzsprout right now, uh, at least uh, for the new season. That's exciting. To, so we're, we're climbing the charts finally, and it's exciting to see. And all of you listeners and followers and viewers are the reason. As always, you can find us. Our, our great marketing partners uh, is our, our friends here, Vi Media. They uh, own our studio. Vi Media is an award-winning digital marketing agency right here in the greater St. Louis area. They're our partner and your partner that generates proven growth in a variety of different issues not just in St. Louis, but nationwide. I'm a big fan of them. I appreciate their support. They can serve all of your digital marketing needs. I hope you'll give them a call. You can check them out at vi.media. That's V-I-E dot media on the web. I hope you'll continue to support the show. We've got a great guest next week. I can let it out of the bag. Denver Riggleman, who served uh, as a former member of Congress from Virginia and was a, was a part of the January 6th committee. He has a new book up, out about January 6th. will be joining us next week. So I'm excited to have you see me to him and talk to him. Uh, as always, thanks for your support and have a great week.